If you want to scale and you want to grow and you want to do it without headaches, document every single thing you do. You can use a website like sweetprocess.com. That's the one we always started with. And that is because we've built processes, written step-by-step video, step-by-step processes for every task in the company. And when you do that, that's a repeatable function that you can hand to somebody else and they can run it with you. It's the key to freedom. It really is. Without it, you're rolling the dice. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Matt Larson. Today we're talking about employing virtual assistants in a real estate investing business and what it can do for you, what it has done for Matt in his real estate business. And just to give you a little taste of it, Matt has done over 4,000 real estate transactions. Okay, 4,000, four with three zeros. That's incredible. That's so many real estate transactions. And today he's gonna teach us about his journey building his real estate business and then ultimately hitting a point where he was constrained in his growth and started hiring virtual assistants in earnest in his business. And that just skyrocketed everything. Now he has over 200 virtual employees overseas running his real estate business, and he works less than five hours a week on his real estate wholesaling business. And he means that for real. He tells us that in the episode, he works less than five hours a week on his real estate business. But it took him a long time to get here. It's not something that he did overnight, right? He built up these systems and processes, and today he's gonna teach us all about it. His journey, the difference makers in the business that helped him really use or employ rather virtual assistants successfully and so much more. A lot of great lessons in this one. You're going to learn a ton, especially if you want to scale a real estate business or any business. Think about how you can hire others to help you grow and take tax tasks off your plate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage syndications. If you'd like to learn more and potentially invest with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon to learn more about you, your goals, and everything around that. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. That's what it's all about. No matter what podcast app you use, do take a second, look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Matt Larson. We're talking about employing virtual assistants in a real estate business, lessons he's learned along the way, stumbling blocks, and so much more. Without any further ado, here we go. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, could you tell us about your business and then we'll get right into 10Xing your business with virtual assistants? Yeah, so you just want to know a little bit about my business as it sits today? Go for it. Tell us about yourself. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I've been in real estate uh, going on 17 years. You know, I, I grew up in a small town, just a farm kid in Illinois here, probably about an hour from I'm at my lake house right now. You can kind of see that back there. And, uh, you know, grew up, you know, very, you know, I would say low class, lower class, 
dad always was just a farm hand on a farm. We, we were grew up on a farm and, you know, my parents never even bought a house as we were growing up. We always rented and, uh, uh, eventually I, I don't know how detailed you want to get into my story, but, um, eventually I can always go deeper if you want, but eventually at 30 years old, I bought my very first property. And so that was 17 years ago. And now I've, I've had as I've owned as many as 450 rental properties at, at any given time in my own personal portfolio. I've wholesaled thousands of, uh, or completed thousands, about 4,000 deals total, a little over that. And, uh, a few years ago, I got into, in 2015, I hired my very first virtual assistant. And I realized if you want to scale the business, you have to kind of like, you have to really magnify the time in which you can put into the effort. And you know, all of us entrepreneurs are kind of crazy and we were always optimistic and think <laughs> we could do more. And eventually what happens is you burn yourself out and you really have to, um, you have to make those key hires in order to really expand the business. And, and so that's kind of the, you know, in 2015, I hired my very first virtual assistant and that kind of, kind of led the path to where I'm at today. Awesome. And I'd love to dig into the skills uh, that you learned along the way and how you're teaching others to do that today. But I want to just rewind the clock a little bit and talk about that first property. Just learn about how you financed it. And really, I think a lot of folks struggle with that first one and maybe overcoming mental barriers or learning about the business or whatever. Yeah. So how did you make that first one? You know, what's funny is I still own that property. I'm big on buy and hold, but I sell a lot of my properties, especially I've sold around 300 houses out of my portfolio over the last couple of years. But um, that very first property, um, this is 17 years ago. We're in 2005 at this point. And uh, for those of you guys that don't remember that, that was just <laughs> like it is right now. Very, very, very fast upswing in the market. Um, high demand. The only difference is you didn't need a lot of money to buy houses. Your competition was everybody because anybody could go to the bank back then, literally say, hey, I make you know, half a million dollars a year, no proof, no income proof, um, and the bank would give them a line of credit. And so, um, and so it was challenging back then. And I found this property, believe it or not, by the way, don't necessarily do this today because I don't think there's a lot of opportunity with this, but I actually found the property in a small ad in a really, uh, in a newspaper. And I was calling, you know, I was just, it was part of my routine. You know, we were doing all the normal stuff, but I would also scan the newspaper just to see if any old timers placed ads. And, you know, you call a lot of them, a lot of them want too much. And this particular person I was able to talk down. And the crazy thing is I'd never had, a, I've never gotten a mortgage at this time. Now, my very first property was a fourplex and, you know, I wanted the, I wanted some income property. You know, when you first get into real estate, everybody kind of thinks passive income. And so, which is a great part of your, you know, part of the plan, right? So, you know, I ended up, I didn't know how to get a mortgage. My parents never had a mortgage. I never had a mortgage, but I'd looked at a lot of properties to this point and I had to pull the trigger. You know, I think that's one key lesson. I was looking like, there's some people that, you know, they look at their first property and they go buy one and that's a mistake. I was looking at so many that I had to make a decision at one point, like, hey, I'm, I, I, I just need to jump in and try, try to learn this thing. And so I bought this property, but I didn't know how to get a mortgage. I actually had good credit. I wasn't sure if I could get a mortgage or qualify. So I actually got a friend of mine. He had bought um, three or four properties. And I said, hey, if you just come into this deal with me and you put down the money for the, the down payment on this thing, you don't have to do any of the work. You know, I'll clean up the units and fix them up and, and improve the property. 
and then we'll all refinance you out of it and I'll cut you a check. And that's really what happened. So he, we basically piggybacked off of his credit. Um, he put down the money and then I refinanced it a few months later, pulled back all of his money and gave him a check for 13,000 bucks. And which was all created through the proceeds of the refinance. And then I kept the property by myself. Nice. That property is funny. Here's, here's a little lesson on appreciation, not only with value appreciation, but rent appreciation as well. That four unit building set 17 years ago was bringing in $975 a month, total rent between all four units. Wow. And now, now it's at over almost $2,600 a month in rent between all four units. So that just goes to show you guys, you know, over time, you are going to get some appreciation. The building's worth almost three times as much now, but uh, at least a little over, maybe two and a half times as much. But the rents have really climbed as well. So I imagine you bought that in a pretty, uh, an area that probably appreciated quite a much, quite a bit too, right? Well, I got, I got a good deal on it. Mm. Um, so that was big part. I, I was able to, you know, of course, you're not going to get a lot of eyeballs if you place an ad in the newspaper to sell your property. So I'm sure I was one of the few people that actually called those people to buy it. Um, so I negotiated a low price. That helped a big part of what you would consider the appreciation. But given that, it's just time. 17 years, you know, 3 to 5% appreciation over a 17-year period, it doesn't take long to or it doesn't, the math adds up quick with the compounding of the interest of the appreciation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. So now let's dive into, I I really want to get away from saying using virtual assistants in your business. We're hiring virtual assistants. We Mm -hmm. treat them as employees. We're not using them. They're people, right? They're working for us. They're they're employees. So let's talk about employing uh, virtual assistants in your business, how you got started and, you know, learning lessons along the way. Well, the first, the way I even heard about virtual assistants, and believe it or not, you know, in the real estate world, we all have heard, most of us have heard about virtual assistants, but in the other industries, they really haven't. And how I learned about virtual assistants was in 2007, I was in a Barnes and Noble bookstore and I was in the, in the one section with the personal development, I came across this book called The 4-Hour Workweek. <laughs> of course, yeah. And I yeah. read the cover and I'm like, well, that's kind of an interesting cover. And I flipped it open, started reading the table of contents. And boom, man, I made, I, I, that's all the further I had to get. I made it right over to the cash register, bought the book, took it home and read it cover to cover. And that the concept of virtual assistance was in that book. And, and Tim Ferriss, the author, was really ahead of his time because he was talking about it when before a lot of people were. And I went right, I, I got so pumped that I was like, I'm an action taker. You know, I went out, hired a, my first virtual assistant, didn't have a clue as to really what I was going to exactly have them do, didn't have any processes, really didn't know how to train them, just hoped it would work out. And it was a disaster. So it, it failed. We didn't end up, I, I literally, after like a couple of weeks, nothing was getting done. And I ended up letting the virtual assistant go, which fast forward in the business. So... A few years later, uh, you know, six, seven years later, 2015 came along and um, I decided that I was going to give it another try. And I had two, I had two girls. Uh, we were, uh, you know, by 2015, I was turning, you know, 25, 30, 35 deals a month. Nice. And I was holding a lot of properties in my rental portfolio. Um, so we would wholesale a bunch. We would, we would fix and flip a bunch. And then I would hold a bunch in my portfolio. And when you're buying that many houses and you're rehabbing that many houses and you're finishing, you you go two or three months and you you trip up a little bit on leasing them out. 
you could have, you know, a hundred vacancies. Wow. And, and so that starts, you know, carrying a hundred houses at one time that you're not bringing in rents, you know, it costs a lot of money. So I had, I remember this is back when I used to go to the office and, um, I would be sitting there and the phone wouldn't be ringing and drive me crazy. And, uh, I had these two girls that I hired $15 an hour each and their job was to list houses for rent. Um, we listed them on Craigslist and back then Craigslist is still a viable solution to get eyeballs to, to, uh, rent houses. It's not as impactful now as it was in 2015. In 2015, if you didn't have your houses on Craigslist, they just absolutely did not rent. It's just <laughs> different now. Now there's Zillow and all these other sites. So I couldn't get these girl, these two girls are paying them 15 bucks an hour. They could not get through a day and get the houses listed on Craigslist. They just, man, Matt, we're busy with this. And all this came up and, I, you know, that happened and this happened. And I was like, the, 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 the virtual assistant thing kept, kept in my mind. So I got a hold of my assistant. And I said, we're hiring a virtual assistant. We need to get these houses listed, the full-time job. So we get a virtual assistant, pay her like three or $4 an hour, teach her the system. We had a written process this time. So that's part of the, the, the key to this whole thing with virtual assistants. You have to have a written process that they can follow. If you, if you build the process correctly and hire the right person, it's a robotic. And so we built the process, pulled the trigger, and I'm telling you, it's seven years later, and I've never, never thought about listing houses for rent on Craigslist since. It's just an automatic process that happens every single day. And, you know, it just, it's, it's amazing. So one $3 an hour uh, virtual assistant replaced two $15 an hour Americans in my office, and I got a better result. So the savings was, you know, tens of thousands of year in, in payroll and overhead. More importantly, the savings in my frustration, you know, so, so that's kind of how that started. And then of course you get one and now all of a sudden it's a success and you're like, you start looking around, okay, I could have a virtual assistant do that and that and that. And, you know, I'll tell you in 2017, I had 50, 50 people, 50 Americans in my office um, to run all my companies um, between my property management business and my fix and flip business and my maintenance company and all this, my wholesaling business and all that stuff. We had about 50 American employees. Now my office is a ghost town. There's, <laughs> there's, there's three to five Americans at any given time. And the rest of the people you can't see because they're Philippine in the Philippines as virtual assistants that work workforce in the background. So we've really transitioned over the, over time to the point where um, I have a rule in my company and we're really down to the, the, there's really not much more to replace with virtual assistants now because we're down so low. You gotta, you gotta have some boots on the ground, but I had a rule in my company. If, if somebody quits or gets fired, you replace them with a VA. Wow. So that's kind of what we did over a three, four year period. And now we're down to a virtual business. That's wild. I think a very notable thing there at the beginning is that you gave it a shot. It didn't work out, which happens to, I think, probably all of us who try to employ VAs. It certainly happened to me the first time. And mm -hmm. that first stumbling block can, can delay you for a long time. It did to me, but you gave it another shot over after you know some time. I would imagine, would you say in the interim, did you become a better manager of people, whether you know any kind of employee? We got, we got better with processes. That's mm -hmm. really what happened. Um, you know, that first VA I hired probably was great. It wasn't their fault that they failed. I, I kind of use an analogy 
Imagine if you go out and buy the most expensive computer in the, in the country, you know, you spend th- tens of thousands or thousands and thousands of dollars. You buy the best computer you can buy, you bring it home and you want to write a computer program on it. The only thing is you don't know how to write, write code very well. <laughs> so you, you, you write code to do it, an action and you hit enter and the computer crashes. Is the computer the problem or was it the bad code? Well, it's the bad code. The computer's fine. I use that analogy for VAs. When you hire a VA, if you plug in bad code, aka bad processes, it's not going to work. And it's not the VA's fault. It's your fault. So I would say in that interim, during that that six, seven year period there, we got really, really very, very detailed with written, documented processes on how to do every job in the company. That's great. <laughs> how have you dealt with the time difference. I mean, the Philippines is on the opposite side of the planet, big time Mm -hmm. difference, you know? Well, I mean, it's just part of our screening process. When we interview, we pay really well. We typically pay, you know, about probably at least double what the average um, VA probably makes. Part of that is because we like to pay people and we don't want them to leave. We want to hire the top talent. But another part of that is it's it's an inconvenient lifestyle for them to work with third shift their life, their time is first shift our time. Mm-hmm. So it's an inconvenience for them. But if they're willing to do it in a lot of a lot of VAs, it's kind of their culture now. Many, many people in the Philippines are virtual assistants. And in their culture, virtual assistants work third shift. That's just kind of how it works. But we pay them really well. Um, so it's something that they do. Now, every once in a while, you make a bad hire and you get somebody that just, you know, they can't adjust. They Maybe they have High, they have high goals for themselves. Like, man, I'm used to working first. Now I got to work third shift to be on first shift in um, the U.S. And they they oversleep and they you know they met they mess up and they can't they can't get up and they can't do it. And we just have to let them go. Um, that's just part of the hiring process. You're not going to get it right 100 percent of the time. Even if you're, I mean, we're as about we're as, we screen more than any company that I've ever seen. I mean, I our hiring process takes several weeks. We're very, very slow to hire. We run, we built our own testing. We have our own screening processes. We train them on live leads. We have a whole training and classroom process before we even offer them a job. And even with that, you know, so every once in a while, maybe one out of every 25, we just, we just, you know, don't get it right. And we have to, we have to replace them. Well, you're, it's would be unrealistic to expect to bat a thousand. That's mm-hmm. just not a real expectation in, nope. in the real world. So, as far as building those processes and and building, I suppose your screening is really what I want to dig into because that's certainly faster than I hire anybody. There's more screening than I do. It's not that I, to say that I do none, but that's more than I do. So, mm-hmm. how have you built that up over time? And like, what are some key things you've added to it? Well, I mean, we do so so. I mean, we have everything documented even on the hiring side, but you know, if, if they're going to be on the phone, they have to have good English and there's an actual English test. You can have them take that grades their, how well they speak. Mm-hmm. So they'll take an English test. We have them take a typing test. If they're going to be on a computer, being able to type fast quickly, we pull their resume. We see what their education background is. We see what their work history is. We also created our own test specific to the job that we're going to train them on. So they'll have them, you know, they'll, they'll go through a classroom type setting. And then we, we give them a, a multiple choice questionnaire at the end. And if they get too many wrong, they fail. Um, so we also test their internet speed. 
nothing more frustrating than, you know, than, uh, you know, them not being able to log on or breaks up, you're on a zoom and they keep going in and out. So we test, we make them take a screenshot of their internet speed. We, we, we verify that their computer equipment's good, their headset's good, all of that. They have to have a camera, of course, because we do a lot of zoom meetings. So those are some of the, the things that we do. We also take one big thing that I wanted to mention. We do a personality test. Every job is specific and, and typically does best with a specific personality style. And what I mean by that is like we like the DISC test because it's very easy to understand and easy to learn and simple to give the test. But if you're going to hire a cold caller, for example, somebody that's going to be on the phone with people, you need somebody that's outgoing that likes to talk to people versus maybe a more, you know, like a, like a uh, very detailed oriented person. That's just kind of a, what I call a C personality, that C personalities, you know, you're, 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 they're more analytical versus outgoing. So you have, we take that personality test to make sure we fit each job title with the right person. And that, that helps longevity of the um, virtual assistants as well. Nice. You've mentioned a few tools uh, that you use. You talked about Zoom and doing Zoom meetings after the person's actually hired. Mm-hmm. What are some other tools you use? I know Slack's popular, but you know management and and project management tools. But also, how do you get them paid? Right, you have to send money across the border, so that's a little bit of a headache. So, yep. How about all the tools? So we we use a company to pay them. It used to be called Transferwise. Now it's just called Wise. And uh, obviously, I have a I have a bookkeeping staff that's actually from the Philippines. That you know, they we use we use a we use a tool called Hubstaff, and Hubstaff monitors their hours. Um, Hubstaff is a you know fifteen dollar a month subscription that you can get per VA that takes screenshots periodically of their screen, measures mouse movements and keystrokes, checks to see what they're working on you know, reports back to you how efficient they are with, with their day. And so that basically it's, it's like an onsite manager without having to have a human there. Um, so Hubstaff keeps track of their hours and then their hours get turned into the bookkeeping and bookkeeping pays them through TransferWise. And then you can pay with American dollars and it converts over and, and they get paid. And so that works really well. Again, we do, we do have a lot of Zoom meetings. Uh, we give everybody their own phone number um, so we can message them as well. So we will use just a messaging. Um, we can do some type of a, you can use anything really for messaging service, but we get everybody a, a phone number that we pay for and then sending, you know, set them up with company emails. Communication is, uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, before COVID hit, the virtual world was still kind of very, not super common, but now that COVID hit, I mean, everybody's working from home. Mm-hmm. Even even people like I was over the weekend, we were at a another house around the corner on the lake here, and a guy from Chicago was down, and he used to he used to live in the suburbs and drive an hour every every day to his office. And COVID hit, and he's like, I've been working from home ever since, and and their productivity's better. And so so COVID was really the the catalyst that made virtual you know, really normal. And so even a lot of American employees are virtual now. So the Zoom, the whole Zoom meetings and everything, it's just normal business now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So before we move on to the last part of the show, I just wanted to really see if we could distill a lesson or two to the listener out there who's maybe thinking about, maybe I need to hire a virtual assistant for my business, whether it's a real estate business or not. 
just some things to any thoughts, parting thoughts to get them past that hump to get them started and and give it a shot because you transition so many positions that you probably previously thought there's no way I could get somebody overseas to do this. And mm-hmm. you said, well, I'm going to do it. And it, you know, worked out for many of them. So how did you do it? What are your thoughts? You know, the biggest, the biggest thing is, is um, I would, I would tell everybody to make a list of all the things that they do in the course of their day. I would tell everybody to make a list of all the things that they do in the course of their day. Okay. And then you, you take that list and you pick out the things that you're not good at or you don't like doing. Now you look at those things and pick the thing on that list that's repetitive, right? If it's a repetitive motion. So you don't like doing it. It's repetitive. If you, anything that's repetitive is the easiest task to hand off to a VA uh, because it, it, this, the process is fairly simple to build. And once you plug that VA in, it's, it's just a, something that they can step into almost robotically and do every day. So, so first things first is you gotta, you gotta make that list and then you, you start valuing your time. You know, people will do tasks that you can hire a virtual assistant for four, five, six, seven dollars an hour. Would you ever work for four, you know, four or five, six, seven dollars an hour? There's no way. None of us would. But when you do a task that's a seven dollar an hour task that a VA could do, you've 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 spoken that you're worth seven dollars an hour. And so um, you so you so the, to answer your question, you start with the the tasks that are the easiest to hand off. And you make a list of the things that you're not good at or you don't like doing anyway so that you can you can get those things off your plate and remove complexity from your life and and maybe some frustration and then have clarity through your day to to do the things that you do like that are more that are more challenging positions that you get paid better to do while you're doing those. Nice. I love it. I would say that that list, making that list definitely helped me out, helped me start handing some things over that maybe I thought I needed to have control of in the past, but just giving it a shot just helped me out so much and and making that step. And I, I think something you said about, about paying a bit more that's been beneficial in, in my business as well is because the livable wage there is very different from the livable wage here, but I still want the best person that I can mm-hmm. find over there. If I pay a few dollars an hour more then I can get the best person and they're going to want to keep working for me. So mm-hmm deal. I don't, I don't yeah, see a problem. Exactly. Yep. Agreed. Nice. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Matt, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment I ever made, I probably was probably a flip that I did. It was a very high paying flip. Um, During the last downturn in 2015 or 16, I bought a Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, (laughs) So it was a big, I I do mostly residential deals, but I do the opportunities, right? I'll do a commercial deal. So I bought a Buffalo Wild Wings. The day I bought it, it paid me $10,000 a month cash flow net. I, I owned it for 20 months. 
and uh, and it cash flowed ten thousand a month every month. And when I sold it twenty months later, I made seven hundred grand. So that was that was that was pretty exciting. That was a good deal. Nice. Did you bring in investors on that, or was it all you? I have me and 50, 50 partner. Um, the cool the cool part is another cool part about the story. Across the road was another commercial building. And uh, it was listed for, it was actually listed on the market for a million dollars. I ended up picking it up for 650. I wholesaled it for 775 and 1031 into the Buffalo Wild Wings building. So I took my gain from the first wholesale, which I don't, people don't realize you can wholesale and you can do 1031. You don't have to own something for a really long time to do a 1031. So I was able to 1031 into that and used a lot of that profit as the down payment on the Buffalo Wild Wings building. So there wasn't any, you know, quote unquote investors, just me and another partner. Nice. And rolled the tax bill forward using 1031 mm-hmm. exchange. So yep. in that first deal. Awesome. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? You know, again, it was on the, it was probably on the commercial side. Um, you know, the residential stuff's pretty safe, secure. You don't really get tripped up too bad on most of those. But I bought a bar. Um, I bought a building. I had a building. I didn't own the actual bar, but I bought a building and rented it to people that ran the bar. I sold that building like a year. I owned it for like seven years, eight years. I, I sold it a year ago, a year and a half ago. I, I took like a $150,000 loss on that Ooh. building and I couldn't sell it fast enough. I was excited to write that check and be done with it because I don't ever want to own a bar again. And we were, we were just constantly rotating tenants and you know, they would, they didn't have money and they never paid their rent. And, you know, of course, COVID was the final blow. As soon as COVID hit, we finally had a really good bar owner and they were paying their bills and they, they did a good job and their, their business was busy and then COVID hit and they were out. So yeah, probably about $150,000 loss on that one. Wow, but your Buffalo Wild Wings, which kind of is a bar, it's not not a bar. It's a restaurant. It's a, it's a restaurant. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a chain that's very successful. Right, you know? but my my point of reference is that the college town Buffalo Wild Wings we went to, you know, well over a decade yeah. ago. But but that's a corporate tenant, probably with your know, corporate lease, corporate guarantees, and all those kinds yes. of things. So that reduces risk. You got it. Yes, nice. different deal. So my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The most important lesson that I've learned, boy, there's so many of them, but I would probably say if you want to scale and you want to grow and you want to do it without headaches, document every single thing you do. You can use a website like sweetprocess.com. That's the one we always started with. If you eventually want to step out of your job, now I'm I'm sitting in my lake house. I'm here all the time. Looks great. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't leave. I don't go to an office. Um, I go to my office a couple of times a year. Um, <laughs> my I, my wholesale business runs. Um, I work less than five hours a week in my wholesale business, and that's not any BS. That's legit, really how it works. And that is because we've built processes written step-by-step video, step-by-step processes for every task in the company. And when you do that, that's a repeatable function that you can hand to somebody else and they can run it with you. It's the key to freedom. It really is. Without it, you're rolling the dice. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all of these lessons with our listeners. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to track you down on the internet, they want to learn more, anything like that, where can they find you? Um, you know, go to, you know, you can go to my website, realestatemat.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook um, under Matt Larson. 
Um, I used to have my, an inst. Uh, we we had my Instagram account. It got hacked. Ugh. Um, I'm trying to get it back right now, but I had a lot of followers there. But I started a second one, Real Matt Larson, and it used to be Real Estate Matt was my Instagram handle. But if you go if you go to my website, realestatematt.com, we'll always post whatever social media link you can to get to find me. And if you send me a message. I'm the guy that answers. I don't use, I actually don't use virtual assistants to answer my <laughs> messages. So if you guys send me a message, if you can find me on Facebook, that's best. Send me a message, ask me a question, I'll, I'll get back to you. Awesome. I love that. I'm glad you made that, that comment about you're the one that responds. I think there's nothing wrong with having a virtual assistant respond to your messages as long as it's transparent. But when somebody mm-hmm. has somebody else answering their emails under their own name, I, I don't know. That's a little, no. if you email me, you get me and that's it. So it's a hundred percent. I like, and I like to be in tune with what people are asking. Absolutely. I want to thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.